With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I've got here with me Gabriel Weinberg, creator of DuckDuckGo, and I'm going to call it the biggest indie search engine in the world. I'll take it. <laughs> so you have Google and Bing, but they like take your information spy on it, manipulate it, sell it, do things with it. You do nothing with anybody's information, right? That is right. You don't we, even know who's like hitting you. Our privacy policy in a nutshell is we do not collect or share personal information. And you're getting like, are you allowed to say the number? How many? Yeah, our traffic's actually public. It's at duckduckgo.com slash traffic. We okay. Get about 11 million uh, searches a day now. So, of, so 330 million searches a month. Yes. And uh, do you keep track of anything else? Like what do people search for or? So we 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 keep track of searches completely anonymously to help with spelling and other things like that. Um, but otherwise, no, we don't really know. Um, like, what's the most searched or item of the day? We we could theoretically figure that out. But we don't we don't routinely look at that at all. Yeah. And, and just in a nutshell, I want to get into your book, uh, Traction: How Any Startup Can Achieve Explosive Customer Growth. But I'm going to ask you things about traction you don't address in this book. Good. So, uh, <laughs> some new like, questions. I want to address your whole <laughs> philosophy of what traction is across life. Yeah. But um, just what the hell is the business model of DuckDuckGo? <laughs> so it, it is a myth that you need to track people to make money in search. So our business model looks like Google's business model, essentially, for the search search part, which is if you search for car or mortgage or a book, you get a book or car or mortgage ad. And if you click on that, we get some money. What we're not doing is tailoring that ad to you specifically, which Google doesn't really do either on their search engine. Really? They, they do that outside their search engine. So like YouTube, Gmail, and all their ad networks that follow you around the internet, like that's where all that tracking is for. Like we just focus on web search so we can just like serve you ads based on your keyword. So are you cutting off like a whole area of your of potential money by not essentially creating kind of that AdSense style network that Google has? We're certainly not in the we're not an advertising network, yeah, right. and that's a very lucrative business, and we're not in it. What about having DuckDuckGo be kind of, um, you know, doing an enterprise to enterprise business, like making it this default search engine on various websites, so you can kind of do that network approach? We thought about it, and we we dabbled in it a little bit, but like the people don't convert back into regular search engine users. It just turns out, like if you power okay. like someone's. It's just, it's just BS. Yeah, even their blog search or whatever, like it never translates back into actual search engine users. Are you happy doing it? You've been doing this for like seven years. Yeah, I started companies right out of college. My last company I sold in 2006. And after what was it? To who? It was um, an early social networking company called Names Database, uh, sold to classmates.com. Is this N A Y M Z? Uh, no. Okay, well, well, how do you spell names? Just names? Yeah, it was okay. the most vanilla name you could think of for a company. <laughs> and Clanspace.com was public. It was United Online? Yep, they had just bought uh, Classmates a year earlier. Okay, are they still around? I remember they were like... They're they had still like around. A, they had like a ton of <laughs> cash and they never really did anything with yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Well, they thought they thought they might become an internet conglomerate like IEC or something. Uh -huh. um, but in any case, uh, but the, the crux of that story is I was not interested in that business at all. Like the product, I wasn't a user. I'm not a social network user to begin with. Um, I just kind of happened into that area. And so I decided I, whatever I started next, I wanted to be interested in for at least a decade. Um, and I, okay. I set out specifically to figure that out and tried like a bunch of different projects and eventually settled upon DuckDuckGo. So the short answer is yes, I, that was a correct decision. I'm still happy. I can do this indefinitely. 
Yeah, like you don't yeah. feel like the urge, for instance, to sell and move on to the next thing. No. Will yeah. you ever sell? What do you want to um, do? You know, our our like vision is to raise the standard of trust online and you know, and our mission really is to be the world's most trusted search engine. And so to the extent that someone could help us do that better and faster, like we're not opposed to like joining forces with somebody. But we're not interested in like being sold and shut down, which is what mo- happens right. with most acquisitions. How, do you think anyone's tried to do that? Like, has have, have Microsoft or Google tried to approach you and say, "Hey, you need to be shut down. Just let us buy you." <laughs> we have been approached for acquisition offers, and we've turned them down. Okay. Yeah. Why do you think people approached you? Like, they were they thought they could build you up further, or they wanted your revenues, or like, what was their goal in approaching you? You know, scale of the scale in search is so vast. So, like, you know, we're at three hundred million searches. A month that's actually really tiny in the search market and then we were at 30 million though it's different and so each one of those look similar to the outside well that's a big number but to the inside those are very different types of companies for acquirers so right now our revenue is starting to become probably at a point where it's attractive enough where you wouldn't want to shut us down um before then it was probably more for technology and just like search expertise. Because your technology, essentially you encrypt from end to end. You know what you don't even know what people are searching. You, you, there's no way for you to track anything. Yeah, so that's not the, that, that is all true, but that's not the cool part of our technology. Like our main focus is on instant answers product-wise. And so we have, we, we took an open approach to instant answers, meaning that we opened. What's instant answers? Instant answers is that stuff at the top above the links you see that complete your search without zero, with zero clicks. So on Google, they call it knowledge box or one box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Wikipedia article, if you search right. James Altucher, you'll get, you know, I don't know what your first sentence says uh, about well, you now. I, I think if you search me, you get <laughs> why I shouldn't, what, how, how to most quickly die, things like that. Well, in any case, um, there's often an instant answer at the top. And, you know, our vision is that you know, there are thousands of sites now that have great answers for every topic. So like Lego parts or bioinformatics or municipal bonds or whatever it is, there's a great site out there that has a good answers for that. And there's no reason why you should click on links to get those answers. Like we should be able to put them above the links for you. You should, um, you know, just like how Google seems to have almost a symbiotic relationship with Wikipedia. I mean, I think I read somewhere that one out of three Google searches results in a, a go- someone going yes. to Wikipedia. So That's Google exactly becomes right. only the interface between the user and Wikipedia. That's the crux of this whole idea. Yeah, exactly. So, so you should do something with like Quora or somebody like yeah. that where, because they have so many answers. We're, we're starting, Quora is one of the ones in our pipeline of, of, of indexing. Yeah, so we have 600 instant answer sources like that. Okay, now. good. Like Quora and all these other ones like that are even less popular but very useful for people who search in that niche and it's all open source meaning like anyone can come and suggest ideas or code them or whatever oh really that's Um, interesting so that's the technology we're actually focused on a lot day to day so what i want to talk about well a i want to talk about how you got up to 300 million searches a a month on DuckDuckGo, given that google really is you know the king so you're like the the half (laughs) <laughs> read prints or whatever but but also just so you wrote this book traction and it's all about how any startup can you know achieve the kind of growth you've achieved like this explosive growth but i kind of want to just explore just the word traction a little bit like like what what does that mean to you like because it's obviously an important word like you included it as a as a title and i get this asked ask this question a lot you know like how much traction do you need to keep going like people don't have a way of measuring so a people don't know how to grow something, but a but b people don't know when to quit something. Yep. Like when are they not getting enough traction? And I don't mean just in business. I mean kind yep. of in <laughs> relationships or a job or anything. Like and I know you're obviously focused on on the business. You've done hundreds of interviews for this book. It's yeah. really, you've talked to so many people I know. By the way, like <laughs> I I just like you. It's basically you took my list of all my people on my phone and talked to them all <laughs> except for me, by the way. But. Uh, um, so what is traction to you? So on the business side, I think of it as customer demand, and you can you can quantify it, but it's some level of customer demand. Um, on the life side, I, I'd say the concept probably... But it's not just customer demand because it has to be customer demand during a certain amount of time. Like if I do a business for four years and I have no customer demand, that's different than if I do a business for two years and I have no customer demand. So, yeah, so I, I, I define it as growth, you know, growth and customer demand. But I think people would say that even a business that has no growth, I'm beating more abstract now, would still say it has traction. 
I mean, like, even if you're kind of, um, if you're operating a business by yourself sustainably and year after year it's spinning off a million dollars or something, I'd say most people would say that has traction. You know, maybe not in the investment side, like in, in right, but that's that's like book. a lifestyle business, right? Yeah, so, it's a lifestyle. So they business. they can if it, so it must it's a good I'm thinking broader to your point. But I think it's traction in the sense that oh, they've achieved a degree of freedom where they've set up something sustainable that will sustain them and all their dreams and interests. While they you know maybe they can have traction in other areas of life, knowing that but that sustainability is because they have customer demand. You know, right? Yeah, but it's not necessarily growing in that case. It's not necessarily so you growing. don't you don't associate traction with growing. But I'm, what I'm saying is, I, I do, I do for okay. in a business context. Yeah, I'm saying if you're going to extrapolate beyond business to lifestyle businesses or to your life, you know, I think it's probably related to just generally customer demand. Like, there's some interest out there in what you're doing. You know, it's funny. A lot of people come to me with an idea and say, "I have this idea. How do I get funding?" And that's kind of like almost the wrong way to approach it. Like, I think customer demand is the most important thing because that's how you value. Like, profits are the purifier of a business. So when you have customer demand, which is the first thing you need before profits, you at least know that there's some interest in your... You at least know your idea might be good to some group of people. Yeah, exactly. To your point about when to quit or not, you know, I tell people, are there bright spots in what you're doing? Can you identify anyone out there who actually loves what you're doing, even if it's like three people? Because right, then you can dig into them and say, okay, are these outlier people? Are they just like crazy weirdos? Or like, are they like maybe constitute some kind of group that you can build upon? But like, I like one time, this is a long time ago, I started a dating website and it got some signups. But like right away, I got this really awful sense that there was just zero traction there. Even yeah. though I had signups, it wasn't like. Really Signups isn't real demand. Right, signups is not demand. Yeah. Customer demand is they're demanding your product. They're like coming to you every day and saying, I want to use this. Right, and it's funny because the flip side is one time I started another business, stockpicker.com, and people were coming to me and saying, hey, can you block me from the service because we're too we're spending too much time <laughs> That's on That's demand. It. So that was demand. So <laughs> yeah. I felt it then. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you kind of feel demand. Yeah, and okay, so I yeah, right. Like what happened in the beginning stages of DuckDuckGo? Did you were you like, "Oh my god," like people were writing you like, "Oh my gosh, you're going to bring down Google" or what was happening to the your your kind of core evangelists? DuckDuckGo when it started was not something you would want to switch to. Like it was not ready. But I I soft launched it to um Hacker News if you're familiar with that site. Yes. And um, they blocked me. <laughs> it's true. I don't know why. F you. You must have said something. Um, anyway, they there was immediate obvious interest in um, some kind of differentiator competitor. Like people were clearly there. There was some amount of people who were like, "Google's too much of a monopoly, and I want like another provider." Is right? that like quirky conspiracy theorists though? Like, oh, Google's tracking my every move. It the was, FBI knows what I'm doing. At the beginning, it what we weren't totally private, so mm -hmm. it wasn't privacy reaction. It was more just people want. There, there's a thirst of early adopters just in the world who want to try new things, and it was clear like search was so big, like they were tired of Google not innovating, and they they wanted something new. Now we didn't have anything interesting at the time, but you could tell that there was demand there, and that that's what motivated me initially. So, so the fact that there was some excited users looking for an alternative. I mean, why did you think? Uh, and and again, I want to get to the yeah. the book and overall just attraction. But now I'm curious, why did you think like this is year fifteen of of search engines? Why did you think in that year you could come up with something new? Because nobody really has come up with anything new in a long time. I, I don't know what the last, well, I don't know what the next search engine after Google was, other than Bing. Yeah, there were there were a bunch in the mid two thousands who tried some things that just didn't get anywhere. Like who? Um, search me did this cover flow thing and there was Kewl and Hikea and I guess Mahalo Mahalo is another one yeah there were about five that raised like 50 million bucks they wow. all kind of crashed and burned um, and then Blecko was another one um, and so this actually started out of complete personal interest so I this was 2007 I was um, I was being frustrated by my own Google results and that, that's how this grew up um, and I was frustrated in basically three ways, and I, I started side projects on all of them. None of them were privacy at the beginning because it wasn't on my mind. One was more instant answers, like there weren't instant answers on Google yet. And like you said, everyone's going to Wikipedia. That was one. The second was there was a lot of spam on Google then. I don't know if you remember back then. but like Yeah, not so much now, though. Not now. They cleaned it up in 2010. But like 2007, 2010, like tons of content farms, just like tons of links where you just go nowhere but ads. I wanted to clean that up. 
And then third, to your core point, I thought there were lots of people who had better links in their head for certain things. Like I went to, the genesis of that was, I signed up with a stained glass class with my wife and they handed out this like sheet of paper that was like, here are all the best stained glass links that you should go to, like some early blogs and stuff. And they weren't the links when you typed in stained glass on Google. And they were better, like demonstrably better. Hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, if you, all these things could be interesting projects to like augment Google. And then I was like, after a year, I was like, oh, you know, you can put some of these together and make your own search engine. But but like Google has spent so many years now and like they have like entire farms of computers with yes, data on it. They do. Like how do you just technically, how did you kind of rise up to have to, to, to compete with their results? Well, I... Just, I don't want this to be... I'm sorry to asking two technical questions. Like, oh, yeah. I'm I, I, I don't care. Because um, they have such a head start. Yeah. So my thesis became that, you know, looking at Bing and Yahoo was still indexing at the time and Yandex, um, which is the Russian search engine, was yeah. starting to index in the U.S. If you actually ran tests in Bing Ransom, if you took, like, Google's results and Bing results and you replaced the logos, um, they act, people actually perceive the relevancy about the same. Really? Yeah. And so, like, the the links themselves and the ranking kind of had reached diminishing returns. And so my argument was, you know, that's essentially then kind of a commodity. And if I could get that from Yahoo or Bing or somebody else and focus on, like, value adds, then I could actually really add value. So you kind of take their, I don't know if they have an API for it, but you take their, their feed yep. and then kind of augment it. Yeah, exactly. And so then if you actually think about instant answers on top of results, people click on links in like a power law fashion so they click on the first link so if you put stuff above the links like instant answers even if you only do that for some percentage of the time you're transforming the experience dramatically because that's what people click on most and what if what if uh google and bing decide to not let you use their feed like they just arbitrarily decide to, to hate you yeah it th that is a real risk um that risk has become less over time as our revenue has increased and we become useful to these companies, you know, in a material way. Yeah. Um, and more to the point for Bing and Yahoo, like we're, we're like the only search engine that's really gotten people to switch from Google, like not from distribution deals or anything. And so we're not really competitive with Bing and Yahoo in that sense. Like we're taking share directly from Google. So it's like a win-win across that. I see. So they want you around. Yeah. Yeah. So so worst comes to worst because they because they offer a commodity. You can you you don't care which one you're getting data from, and and it's not going to be the case that everyone colludes to hate you because someone's going to like. We you. hope not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so no, but that's reasonable. So okay. So traction again. So let's say I'm just going to ask like a random question. Yeah. Let's say um you're in a relationship for six months, twelve months, three years, and the 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 man or the woman is is unsure. When do you decide there's no traction in this relationship? Wow, that Cause, one, cause I don't gonna, know if I'm qualified I'm gonna, to answer. <laughs> no, but your, your whole book is about yeah. business, and we'll get to that. But I just want to kind of explore what you think of the word traction in general. Yeah. Like, when does something feel burn out and if it's not moving? So the way I define it in the book and what I kind of believe in terms of probably relationships too is traction is growth. And so if things aren't growing – you, pro you don't have traction in a business sense. Like, you, you can't raise money. You can't right. do that. Um, I kind of believe that way in relationships as well. I've been with, you know, I met my wife in college when we were, I was 20. And so I'm 36 now. We've been together 16. Oh, so you've been with her for 16 years. Yeah. Um, How fast did you get married? 2004, so um, five years. Okay. Yeah. We've been, so we've been married like 10 years. Yeah. Um. I, but I, but we, we're totally different people than we were. I mean, personality-wise, we're similar. But like, given that you've grown differently, how do you know that there's? How do you keep traction going in the relationship? Yeah, right. That's kind of what I'm getting at. As I, I think, like we grew together, you know. Um, and I don't know if you can do that always, but like that's that that to me seems key to traction. So, so, so you've been lucky. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure it requires a bit of skill too. Yeah. Yeah, right. You could get into like how we did that. I have no, I have no counterfactual, so I have no idea outside us. But like communication seems to be key. I mean, she's my best friend, so like that's probably helps a lot. That's right? great. A lot of people listening to this really hate you right now. So, <laughs> um, so okay, traction on business because uh, everybody starts a business. They start. They want to sell something, you know, new oven gloves or whatever. And then the whole question is, how do they? 
uh, you know, get a get an audience, get people to buy their product, and get people to spread the word on their product. And I have some thoughts on this as well. And I agree with a lot of things you say in the book because I've I've noticed with this with my own businesses. But how about we kind of go through these things one at a time, and and you talk about them. And since you literally talk to every single friend I have, <laughs> I'm able to add in a little bit about what I know of, of their stories. So, so okay, the first thing you say, which I really agree with, is targeting blogs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so back, backing up like just a bit, I think there's two overriding things people totally mess up. Is one, they don't start traction early enough. They kind of your your premise is that they have an idea now they're going out they built the product now they're going to get traction. Well, actually, I'm you not going to say that's the premise okay. because I think you can actually build your own. You can make yourself a trustworthy source before you have a product. Exactly, that would be the ideal way to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I think like starting to get traction right from the beginning, which is you know even ta- if you build an audience, you can even build an audience first, like essentially you have, and then think about talking to your audience about what they want. For, for instance, you yeah. could have written, before you even started DuckDuckGo, you could have written a nonstop blog about all the problems of the current search engines. So yes. And then you build yourself up as a trustworthy source in the kind of esoteric end of the search engine you know, community. And then when you start something, people know who you are and they start visiting it. Yes, and, and, and the reason for that, the re- what I was getting back to the reason for that is, People think that they know what to build, and it turns out that almost every product that launches is totally not sticky and has a leaky bucket. And people can prevent that if they constantly talk to new, fresh customers about the product they're building. Right. And people hardly ever do that. Um, they often get a beta list of customers, and even those people aren't fresh after the first time you know they saw the product. Um, and so I think it's important to like get that fresh customers right from the beginning. Now, targeting blogs, back to your point, is like an excellent way to do that because you can be blogging yourself or you can be targeting other blogs like before you launch the product and be talking about what you're going to be doing and and getting fresh people on it all the time. I think there's a subtlety here too, which is that, and this kind of came up in my discussion with with Ev Williams, is that uh, when you target blogs, you're really targeting destination sites. You're targeting where the people are. And you're not trying to create your own blog that's a destina- destination site. And I think that's a mistake people make often. They sort of create their own blog hoping that uh, people come to it. But the reality is people are at, let's say, TechCrunch in the technology community or they're at LinkedIn in the career community. Or like you launched your blog on uh, – I mean you launched your search engine on Hacker News, which is sort of the hacker community. You didn't try to drive people to your own De, you know, destination site, you went to where the people are. And I think that's an important subtlety to, to recognize. Yeah, the, there's a meta point there, which is if you run traction tests right from the beginning, which is what we suggest in the book, and you um, you you actually don't know which niche to focus on initially. Like almost right. all products launch, they, they need to pick a niche to focus on. But if you're targeting blogs, that's the other reason why it's a great thing to do at the beginning, you can actually test different niches by targeting different audience types. Because ultimately, when you're marketing, you're basically thinking, okay, who is my target audience? Where do they hang out? They may hang out online, they may hang out offline, and you're going to places where they are, is essentially what you're saying. But at the beginning, you don't even know which audience you should target. Right, so hit right? everything. Yeah, hit, hit, so a, hit a bunch like of things. It's like the wall of sound approach. Yeah, and you can, do that, you can do that in a number of ways. You could do that using Facebook ads you know, and test different cohorts, or tw- you can do it on Twitter. There's a bunch of places you can do to try to target different niches. But ultimately, you want to when you launch, you want to know, you know, what niche to focus on, what marketing message actually resonates, and then what channel to use. And I want to I want to just hit one point there like Facebook ads. People are like, "Oh, I can't afford advertising." But Facebook ads, you can get like a statistically significant result with just like $5 per per yes. campaign. So, for instance, I could hit um, you know, women who love to cook or men who love basketball and I could see which audience performs better for just ten dollars yes exactly so, and you you want to validate those hunches because those will the, it, my my point of doing this right away is that that might change the what you do to your product before you launch like right. if you decide wow yeah men who like basketball are really my target audience or that's like the initial niche you might change your product a bit 
Certainly the messaging around or like it. a basketball logo. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, theme it up. Now, the next one, I'm not so sure I agree with it because I've seen so many bad examples of it. You say publicity. Yeah. Now, publicity is good, obviously. All news is good news sort of thing. But I feel like uh, the average like article written somewhere, just unless it's like on one of these destination sites, just doesn't really get you anything. Right. So... Um... Back it up one more time. The premise of the book essentially is, you know, there are a universe of ways you can get traction. Mm -hmm. So, like, we identify 19. And, and from all the interviews and research we did, we found that companies, different types of companies, consumer business, you know, bakeries, whatever, um, at all stages, used all of these to get traction. Like, there were companies, like, that was their main channel. So all companies used all of these. Yeah. To and some so, extent, to varying extents. Well, not each one used all of them, but like we found companies, people will ask me like the number one question I get is, okay, I'm a consumer internet company. Which one do I use? And I'm saying that's the wrong question because the right question is how can I be creative? You almost want to go where people aren't. Like if everyone in your industry is using X, you want to use Y. And we try to do is identify the universe of them and say you should take all of them seriously. Well, and you mentioned you, know? you mentioned in the book, yeah, you, you talked to Peter Thiel, who who says, um, you know, you're going to find one of these things. Yeah, right. Really you just need to well. find one, and it, it's unclear which one it is. So you have to do this this testing. So publicity, in particular, I, I generally agree with you, but DuckDuckGo has had one of our ways of growth on publicity. Well, because you have that interesting story, which is kind of like you have two great stories, which is the David versus Goliath story and the privacy versus Google takes all your information story. So you always can, you're always good for a story. Right, exactly. And so that doesn't work for all products. Right. <laughs> a lot, most products, I think your point is don't have a good story. Right. So they're not going to get good conversions or good press stories scalably unless and, and that's why i like the targeting blog so much like you you again you could have gotten in there and say here's the problems i'm seeing it was search engines and then you could have seen what um you could have gone to the destination sites written this stuff and then seen what the audience was responding to and that would help you define what your product would be yes there's also a sense of um you know at the beginning you do stuff that doesn't scale right and so this gets to your point to the point of what is your goal what is your traction goal which is what i think you should identify first when you're starting out your traction goal is usually small like you're just trying to get the first 100 customers or whatever and then targeting blogs is really useful when you reach bigger scales like us at 300 million searches a month you have to focus on things that can move the needle at your scale and then things like publicity mass publicity actually matter a lot more Whereas if you're starting out, you're not going to try to manufacture like international press. Right, right. So the the next one, which is sort of related, though, is unconventional PR. And I've, I've made use of this in various ways. Like with when I was selling, this is not a, really a, a business, but when I was selling the book Choose Yourself, I released it in a month in advance of the official release, Bitcoin only. So I was able to kind of do something a little quirky and go on CNBC and just because I did it. Was like, yeah, that's it was a perfect example. Did it work? Uh, well, it's funny. On CNBC, <laughs> they actually asked, did you just do this for marketing purposes? And I said, well, I am on national TV right now, so what do you think? So it did work a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Unconventional PR can be great mm -hmm. for launches, but it hinges on creativity. Yeah, you have to. Uh, yeah, you know. And and you and you talk to Ryan Holiday a lot in 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 this book. And you know, one thing. So Ryan Holiday and I kind of conceived that strategy. That's just a coincidence here. And. Uh, uh, you know, Ryan and I started brainstorming maybe six months before the book release to come up with like at least three different unconventional PR attitudes, including me uh, uh, approaches, including me running for Congress, which was became a whole thing. But um, you did not go through with that. No, I I, I I started <laughs> and then I stopped, and then the the unconventional PR became why I stopped. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm really curious about this next one because I always am skeptical of people who approach on. So you mentioned search engine marketing is the next one. And and I always think the targeted blogs approach is so much better than search engine marketing. But I could be wrong. Um, you know, again, like I I don't want to say one is totally better than the other because it applies in different situations. Right. I think targeting blogs is more universal at the first stage. Like it's really easy to do. What's nice about search engine marketing is you can really test conversions at a small scale with very little effort. Like you can 
bring it up in the next 10 minutes and, and have people go into your website. You know? and, and let me ask you a, a naive question. Like, what is search engine marketing? Like, is it buying keywords? Buying or, keywords, yeah. That's it? Or is it kind of um, constructing your site correctly? I separate so, those out. Search okay. engine optimization being the other one. Okay. SEO. Um, yeah, search engine marketing is just buying buying ads. You but know? like always the obvious ads are going to be, always the obvious words are going to be too expensive. Yeah, this is the generally why it's not great for, mm -hmm. for startups. Like you have to go a uh, really long tail with it or be in an area that doesn't have a lot of search engine ads, like okay. a new a new industry. Okay. You know? But if you're, if you're going up, if you're starting a new insurance company, that's not going to be the insurance? channel for you. <laughs> right. You're going to pay like a hundred bucks a click. It's going to be ridiculous. You know, you can't learn from that. And 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 are are customers you get that way usually good customers? Because you know, they don't know about you. They don't know if you're a trustworthy source. They just see that you're like first in line. It, it really depends. Search engine um, ads can make great customers because the people are literally searching for that thing. So it depends what they're searching for. Like how, like you said, how trustworthy they might be the source. But if you're actually searching for a solution and you see something that solves your problem, it's like. It can be great. So, like, if I search like bakeries, Montclair, New Jersey, I want to be. I, if if I'm the bakery, I want to be number one on that. So it's worth it for me to buy those that set of keywords. Yeah, I mean, DuckDuckGo first initially got users through SEO and search engine marketing, <laughs> like people searching for Google alternatives on Google. That's interesting. <laughs> or new search engine on Google. Who searches for Google alternatives? <laughs> people do. That's funny. Yeah, I guess there's a big enough population of anything that you're always gonna get a long tail. Um, and then you have uh, social and display ads, which we talked about with like Facebook. But do you think display ads work? Um, display ads being like a banner. Yeah, I mean, it it, it depends. It works in some industries, but social ads, you know, go beyond Facebook now. Like Reddit, obviously, is a huge site you can put ads on. But now there are like even more niche sites you you can do that on. Um, so it's becoming the case that like almost in each category, there's like a big site that you could probably get, you know, some either a social ad or a banner ad on. So like. You, like a banner ad rent regularly might not work, but if you put it on a, you know, a car parts forum and you're selling car parts, then it might work pretty well. Right. Uh, okay. Next one, offline ads, which I really feel never work, but <laughs> you, you, you might disagree. I remember one time I was talking to the, uh, a guy who used to run VH1. The, I don't even know if VH1 exists anymore, but it was like the TV music channel. Yeah. And he, and he was running a TV network and selling ads and he said he would never buy an ad on TV. Yeah, I so I know of um, a bunch of startups that have done well through TV ads, and then I'm also including outside of infomercials and direct response. Yeah, outside. Well, they're they're direct response, mm -hmm. um, but they're not infomercials. Okay. Um, and then you know, ra I'm including radio ads as in offline ads here, um, which you could expand to podcast ads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think they work. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of startups that have grown a ton through podcasts and radio ads in the last few years. Yeah, it's not that like, expensive, I guess. Podcast ads have now gotten pretty expensive. Yeah. Um, you tell me. <laughs> uh, I guess it's about 40 or $50 CPM. Yeah, that's really high Yeah. Um, comparatively. But, um, you know, a lot of the kind of unicorn companies in the, um, like, Constant Contact and Blue Apron and all that kind of stuff, uh, Nature Box, they're all advertising all over podcasts now. Yeah. Uh, I. Uh, a company called uh, Me Undies uh, <laughs> sponsors my podcast with uh, Stephen Dubner. Question of the day, so you get everybody on on there. Um, okay, yeah, you mentioned search engine optimization. You know, here's a question for you: Just because you know you know so much about search engine marketing and search engine optimization, obviously, and you keep track of all the Google algorithms, I'm sure. I'm sure you personally do, and your team certainly does. Why don't you start almost as like a separate or side source of revenue, an agency helping people or a product helping people with this stuff? So, for instance, a site can run through your machine and see if it's perfectly search engine optimized and they can throw, they can throw in their keywords and you can do, start doing the A-B testing for them. Yeah. Blecko did do some of that, another mm -hmm. search engine that kind of recently got acquired. Um, just Who acquired them? IBM, Watson. God, why? Who is, who's acquiring these other search engines? Like, yeah. What do they use it for? Um, it was more a technology acquisition. Uh -huh. You know, they, they were, I think, putting some of their crawling data, would be my speculation, into Watson. Okay. Um, to answer your question, though, it's all focus, I mean, and distraction. The same reason, like, we have no interest in kind of making more revenue by selling our own ads. Um, like, we're just focused on making the search project better. And that is, in and of itself, a hard enough problem. Yeah. No, I believe it. Um, 
content marketing, which is related to targeting blogs. You do that a lot. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, that works extraordinarily well. So, for instance, just for building up an email list, I'll make a special report, give the special report away for free if you sign up for my email list. So that's a classic example. Yeah, a lot of these are like, um, you know, my overriding message is the underutilized channel, certainly in your industry or just generally, is probably the best one for you because it's just more greenfield, higher conversions. What do you mean by underutilized channel? So, like, if everyone in your industry does radio ads and no one is doing offline events and you do offline events, there's, like, pent-up demand for that potentially. And as a result, you get higher conversions. So you gave an example of uh, another friend of mine, Dan Martell, Clarity.fm, where he uses speaking gigs, which could be considered like offline events, yep. to drive traffic to Clarity.fm, which is an excellent site for people to ask questions and answers to experts, and the experts get to charge per minute. It's really because no one, it's underutilized because other firms aren't using it, but the reason why that's important is people don't expect you to be advertising there, and then all of a sudden people pay attention. Like all these things are related to, we call in the book, uh, Andrew Chen coined the law of shitty click-throughs. Oh, yeah, like, I like that. Every marketing effort eventually results in shitty click-throughs. That's just because it becomes saturated and everyone's doing it. Right. So you want to do things that people aren't doing. How do you find, like, the next, like for instance, you started big, or no, you mentioned the example of Zynga, which started big using Facebook ads when before, like, they were the first Facebook advertiser, basically. And I remember at one point, they were, like, 30% of all Facebook ads was, yeah. was Zynga, or at least some... 30% of Facebook's revenues came from, from Zynga uh, in some form or other. So how do you find, though, though, the next big thing that's moving up fast to start advertising on, and even though if it's not caught up yet in terms of revenues for themselves? So I, I think pursuing traction in general is testing, and it's really testing in two phases. Um, you know, the framework we outline is the first phase is you're basically testing different channels here that we're going through to figure out which channel could work for you, like which is generally going to work and is underutilized. Once you pick it, then it's testing within it, you know, new strategies and new tactics. So say like you determine social ads is like the way to go. Now you're focusing on social ads. It's your, you know, it's your job to become the expert at that. And so you need to be on the cutting edge of what is the new Facebook tactic, be it video or, you know, or going to Reddit or whatever it is. And the only way you really do that is by having your ear to the ground, going to talk to people, you writing your own tests. It's it, That's why it's a full-time job of spending time on traction. And we say you should spend half your time pursuing traction on the early, early, early stages. Like, like what would you, what, what sites do you like right now um, for, for social ads? So we're, we're at a, I, I'm a little disconnected from the early stages. Um, because you're kind of you're kind of growing organically now. People know who you are. No, we're still we're in this process of running tests, and we're 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 still focused on Reddit, which is why I keep mentioning them. I think they're totally underutilized. Um, but there's a lot of new ones, you know, like um, Pinterest. People are still doing stuff on that, um, you know, and all these new messaging apps. They all have new platforms. And and you can you advertise, know, like can you advertise on like Telegram or Snapchat or. I, I don't think you can you can have it on Snapchat now, but it costs a ridiculous amount. Mm -hmm. But like Telegram and Kick and all these kind of like local messaging things, they all are getting new platforms where you can like make apps and bots for them and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing there's opportunity there. What about has anybody created kind of like an app advertising network so I, I can go across all apps? Because it's hard for me to find like the right app to advertise. Google on. has AdMob, mm -hmm. um, which they had bought, which kind of does that. Um, but those have really upped in price recently as well because a lot of the social games are just completely overspending there right they like everywhere is, is social game stuff hmm. so so next one which i'm a big believer in i'm actually i actually think this is my favorite is email marketing yeah i mean it is the most personal like all these things are kind of related but like how you build your email list is related to content marketing yeah i think about it that any any major growth phase of a startup is usually has a core channel strategy. So it's one of these 19. And then if it's sophisticated strategy, other things are feeding into it, but they're not totally different. So like people who are focused on email marketing, they do content marketing to build their email list. But there are other people who just focus on content marketing and email marketing is kind of more of a sideshow. And they're really focused on the viral spread of their content. I think because people are afraid to start from zero. Like, email lists start at zero. Yeah, I think both of those, that's why they're underutilized. Yeah. yeah. And, and content, too, is, like, people are, it takes a while to bit an audience. I mean, you've been, you talk about this a lot. But, like, you, you don't have it from day one. Right, it you know? takes years. And so, like, 
people Unless your first thing is viral, but that people never give up. You know, like yeah, it hardly ever happens. And at the very minimum, it takes six months to see any really useful results. Yeah, like almost every YouTuber I've spoken to, it was like on video number fifty before they finally kind of had their tipping point. And it, you know, to make a three-minute quality video takes you know days or weeks of work. So imagine doing fifty of them yeah, into a vacuum, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Michelle Fine, who's one of the biggest YouTubers out there, was on her 54th video that she finally hit her tipping point. But because of that, it's become totally underutilized still. Yeah. And and you just have to, like, believe in what you're doing, essentially. But you can... And you have to be really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't make YouTube videos. Right. That's why we're doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so next one is... Well, but okay, but email marketing, though, I think is huge because those are people who have already signed up to see your content, and now you're... And you're a trustworthy source. They've already set, raised their hand and said, this person's a trustworthy source. So if you say, hey, I'm buying this or I'm making this, would you, you know, what would you pay for it or would you pay for this? They're your first customers. You're, they're your early adopters and you're talking directly to them. Yeah. And for each of these, you know, we recommend essentially testing a few at a time very cheaply and fastly. So like less than $1,000, less than a month of time to validate whether this channel could be useful to you. Right. And so we offer some suggestions for that. Um, but I, the point is like, you don't, you can test each of these without going all in, you know? Well, which brings me to the question of why did you, like given that you're very focused on your business, why did you write this book? Like writing a book is this very is hard. a good question. But is it, a, <laughs> is it, was this a marketing tool for you to kind of establish yourself as a source? That's why I asked if you kind of almost want to set up separate business or a separate revenue source. Yeah, no, it's things. not. I mean, and, and, and it, to be honest, DuckDuckGo is way beyond the scale where this would help DuckDuckGo at all. Like, Right, because the average book sells doesn't sell three hundred million. Yeah, you know we can have you know like just just to put a point on that, we can have like a front page New York Times story now, and it, it doesn't really move our numbers that much. Right, um, which is really unfortunate, but it's just the reality. No, I I um I really wrote this because I thought it would be is missing part of the business literature. I I thought it was filling a need. So you wanted you wanted to join the conversation. This was just a personal thing. You wanted to join the conversation of how marketing occurs, and you've seen it occur just in your own efforts at, at DuckDuckGo, going from zero to hundred to ten million searches a, a, a day to or a month to now three hundred million searches a month. Yeah, well, I mean, more personally, I started DuckDuckGo and I tried to do the same thing I did in my last business, and it didn't work, and I didn't get any traction with DuckDuckGo initially. And I, I went out to see if there was a book like this, and I couldn't find it. So you didn't get any traction? Like you were stuck at, like, I don't know, 100,000 searches a, a day or yeah, a month or whatever? Exactly. And, and then I looked for a framework to apply, and I couldn't find one, and I started interviewing people. Um, and then I also started angel investing, and everyone struggled with the same problem, you know? Right. And they, they had no great framework to apply, so that, that's why I wrote it. Yeah, that's interesting. So so now you've, you've explored all of these. So now viral marketing... This is... Um, That's how my last business grew. But this is a crazy yeah. one because... Not crazy in a bad way, but, like, you can't predict. Like, how do you how do you make something viral? You can't do it. Well, I well that, I did, but it's Persistence, very... Persistence, I guess, It's, it's very it. rare, yeah. I mean, it has to be built into the product, basically. Like um, what? To be, like, in, an invite flow where you're you're inviting your users or or to use the product, you know, you know, like, it's a social thing in some way. Yeah. Um, this is to get truly viral, which is exponential growth. Well, this reminds you know, me a little bit one, of... One user bringing in more than one user. So it reminds me a little bit of... And you, you talked to Noah Kagan quite a bit for this book. Noah Kagan's got this product, uh, King Sumo. Have you ever used that? Yes. So so you basically... It's a contest, but if someone someone can enter it, but then they and then they get a link back in return, and when they share that link and other people enter using that link, they get... The original person gets, like, five more entrants into the contest. Yes. So to get truly viral, you need to do something like that. And it is, I did this for three years of my life. <laughs> it is extremely time consuming to maintain that process because it's an exponential process, meaning that you get exponential growth, but you can also get exponential decay if anything goes wrong with the process. Like what? Like, like, like your email deliverability somehow drops by like 5%. Because or if people just not interested in the product, but they're interested in the gifts at the end. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that's, that's getting it started. I'm saying even if you you reach the promised land and you you make a viral loop that is exponential, now you have to maintain that loop at all costs. And like any little thing that leaks out of your funnel because things change over time, like 
dampens your loop and you're no longer viral. Well, and it's interesting. Look at like look at like musicians uh, who have broken, you know, broken through with viral videos. Like I don't know how to say his name, Psy Psy, who had that Gangnam Style. Yeah, I have no like, idea he, either. <laughs> he, he had that one video, and then never I never really had a video again, as far as I know. Yeah, there's been a few like um, OK Go. Is, yeah, is, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that one actually. Yeah, they're pretty good, and you know, Katy Perry, obviously, and there's there, there's been a few who've been able to replicate it, but it's very difficult. I mean, they, they that's their whole effort, right? So it's to create uh, viral marketing stuff. But how how did you make DuckDuckGo? Did you, how did you make use of viral marketing for DuckDuckGo? I did not. That's my problem. I tried to I tried to use that in SEO, which is where my last business, you know, what channels it used, and it just it just topped out. I, I have an idea for you. Yeah. How about you by open source for DuckDuckGo, inviting other people to, uh, you know, do it in that kind of GNU style way. Yeah. So where any changes they make, copy left. Yeah. You, yeah. You um. You can incorporate back into DuckDuckGo, and since you're the one with the name brand, you'll you'll benefit the most by open sourcing all your code, and then it's kind of viral. The first search engine to like open source their code, unless Google's done it, but I don't think they have. No, they haven't. Our 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 instant answer platform is open source. Um, one viral thing we tried, we we got really high quality T-shirts, and we basically measured and said if we give a T-shirt to the hands of a DuckDuckGo fan, they actually end up spreading it to three people. It's an ad impression when everyone see, when everyone looks at them. Yeah, people actually ask about it because the logo is kind of interesting, and they end up converting mainly their friends and family. But, like, why do you keep wearing that T-shirt? Um, but like you said, though, like, it, even that, like, with 300 million searches a month, it's going to be hard to move the needle on That's the problem, yeah. We, we, could, we could get the numbers to work to more like a billion searches a year additive, but now we're at where we need to move more like three to four billion. And it just doesn't add up anymore. What if you find kind of the top YouTube videos that are their channels are experiencing kind of exponential growth, but still the numbers are small? Yeah. You know, so two, four, eight is exponential growth, but nobody notices it yet. Why don't you find them and then start sponsoring their channels? That is an interesting strategy. Right. Just, <laughs> just <helping> out. <laughs> um, business development. So this is kind of like where you go, where like how Google originally had to deal with Yahoo, and they had to deal with AOL, where they were the official uh, search engines on Yahoo and AOL, and that was a large part of their initial growth, yeah. particularly their deal with Yahoo in the very beginning. Until Yahoo realized, oh no, we've created a monster. <laughs> That's so, right, and it was, it was the last stage of our growth too. So we we have a deal with Apple and a deal with uh, Firefox. So we're a, are an option in in Safari and Firefox. Okay, are, are you still the, you're, you're just an option or are you the main default? We're an option. Main default would be awesome. Right, but, that, <laughs> but those guys pay. Like Google pays Firefox probably some enormous amount of money. Yeah, uh, it, recently Yahoo started paying Firefox. They, they, that was a big deal. They switched, but it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, so that's not going to happen. It's out of our price range. <laughs> so what other business development you can do? You can do like, again, like blogs or uh, Twitter or... Anything with know. massive distribution, it's hard to it's hard now to move that number that we have. Um, you know, there are a bunch of the traditional deals outside the browsers are uh, operating systems and you know phones, like be an app that's default installed or or on the desktop, be like you know how Internet Explorer used to come with Windows, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't have a, I don't have an idea for you there. <laughs> Um, because your your big challenge is when you reach a certain level of, of traction is moving that needle. Yeah. So how do you, you know, it's almost like you kind of have to at some point throw your hands up and say, okay, it's either organic or nothing now. Yeah, and, and, and we have organic growth. We're just not satisfied with it. Like we, we want to grow faster. We want to get the message out further. Well, how big is the search engine market altogether? Like how many searches a month? It's a little unclear. Mm -hmm. Um but we're on the order of you know a little less than one percent, something like that. So and what about what about moving to um, you know other countries? Like I imagine most of your growth is U.S. What about like being doing the same model in China, for instance? We're about half non-U.S. now. Okay. Um, but we're zero China because we're blocked. Oh, you're blocked. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just? I'm just saying hypothetically. I'm not making a political statement. Why don't you? Why don't you get yourself unblocked so then you at least beat Google in China? It's a political thing. I mean, to be unblocked. You, you, we'd have to violate our, our basically our core privacy policy. Okay, uh, I see. Because China wants to know who everybody is. Yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. Have you had any discussions with them? No, I mean, um, essentially, to do anything unblocked in China, you have to have a presence there, and mm -hmm. you have to have servers there to abide by their filtering rules. So we just give up instantly. Yeah, not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so 
uh, affiliate programs are kind of critical in any sort of information product industry. I don't see it critical in your industry at all, but we'll describe what an affiliate program is. Yeah, this is where... Because I think, by the way, this is the way you do generate sales for most people, like lots and lots of sales. Yeah, I mean, th this is any time, you know, you basically hire someone to sell your product and then give them a cut. Um, right, but you set up, but you can set up a platform so that essentially multiple affiliates, like many affiliates, can sign up, and everybody gets the standard deal. You can also A/B test different exactly. offers. Have you ever done so that with your books? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, huge, and that's actually been the largest source of selling books. Yeah, it's great with information products. In, in fact, I think yeah. this is why pub traditional publishers or traditional everything lose out. To so, how did you set those up? Um, I basically worked with people who helped me on, yeah. who knew of lots of affiliates and then I would write extra material so that, and I would bundle it together. So buy my book. Plus you get these four other reports or you get some other book yeah. from a long time e ago for free. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you get it free and then you, you charge whatever you want or you AB test what you could charge and you get on lists of like hundred thousand people or more. And you know, you have trustworthy sources recommending you and bam, it's huge. Yeah. It, it is great. Uh, another area where it's often used is any kind of high, really high value project that like has lead gen. So like insurance is, yeah. is a big one. Yeah, no, insurance is huge. I have one friend who literally makes a, a living like he has a travel blog, but he makes a living by he, he's very he very honestly recommends why everyone should get travel insurance. But then the travel insurance companies pay him a lot of money on affiliate fees. Yeah, you can get like up to a hundred dollar plus, you know, per sign up on those things. So I think the interesting thing to note there is it's not only is it a great business selling your product through affiliate programs, uh, it's actually a great business being an affiliate. Yeah. So the affiliates make most of the money. In any deal I've done, by the way, affiliates make like 80% of the money. Yeah, so, especially on information stuff where the margin is super high. Yeah. So so that affiliates clean up because for them, it's a one-time thing. For you, you're hoping for renewals. What's actually funny with the first version of this book is, you know, we self-published first version and audible ended up being like audio ended up being a decent percentage of our unit sales it was like 20 percent. yeah audible like surprises me how i mean i never thought audiobooks would be do well because like, i never listened to them yeah the publisher told me huge. that it's generally like five percent or something but it was like 20 percent for our, our book and i think self-help business books do well on audio interesting because well, people commuting to what work was interesting to too is like the money we made from audible half of it was just bounties from affiliate like you automatically uh, audible has a program where like if if people sign up and just buy your book and then sign up for audible they give you like 50 bucks right this is by default you didn't have to sign up and so that ended up being half of our um money from audible oh that's interesting i wonder how much i don't know i didn't never broke it down with my books on that i should take a look at that um let's see what you've got here uh community building which i think is really important so, yeah. so, so for instance, for me, I've built communities around my books on Facebook, and they've done very well. And there's meetups, and this is really to offline events. I have meetups uh, around the choose yourself idea, um, and that's done done very well. What would you say was the most driven channel for choose yourself? Uh, Out of affiliate. all of this stuff, affiliate. Yeah, affiliate and and targeting and content marketing and targeted blogs. Like I've been writing blogs about these messages for five years and then i had published a book on it so i had a huge you know and and very receptive audience to so that ideas. was like your initial channel because it all this pent-up demand right and then affiliate like took you to the next level right yeah interesting and what about you think the community i think also having having a wall of sound approach sort of being everywhere all the time yeah and and it's That's not big for books yeah in general and it's, this is not like an insidious way like i believe in the message and wanted to get the word out and so, but it, but it just worked because if someone reads LinkedIn, they don't always read TechCrunch and, and vice versa. So you kind of have to be everywhere. Even if on sites that seem similar, it's, it's, people are going to choose, oh, I'm going to read this site and not this site. They're not going to, most of the time, not going to read both or everything on both. Yeah. So you kind of have to be everywhere. That's why every site has the same article, news article. That could be. <laughs> yeah. Well, every newspaper has yeah. the same articles. So, so which which worked for you the best with DuckDuckGo? So we've been through six channels really. We in each growth phase we had a switch because it it topped out. So we started with SEO, which was a complete mistake because it just topped out immediately. I wasted months on that. Um, then because we, there's nothing on the beginning on your site. Like how do you even <laughs> like optimize? Um, it well there was at the beginning. We I I, I did all sorts of Wikipedia stuff, um, and I made a widget. Back in the day, like you could make these widgets and then put a link at the bottom, 
and that would increase your ranking. So like I had a widget that said new search engine at the bottom, and then I got to number one on Google for new search engine. Hmm. But it, it just wasn't a lot of people is the problem. It topped out yeah. like 10,000 searches. Then I switched to content marketing, first my blog and then microsites. Um, and then we switched to social ads on Reddit when Reddit first started doing ads. We did kind of Reddit and 4chan ads. Then we switched to PR, print, and then um, TV. Um, in the Snowden revelations, we just did a lot of all the TV spots we could find. It was during a lot of That's growth. great because that probably created create a lot of awareness among people who would never have had any yeah, idea. Yeah, totally. About like that, we were okay. on like Fox News and you know CNBC and all these you know random shows. Um, and then when that topped out, we switched to business development, which were these deals with like Firefox and and Safari and all sorts of other browsers you never heard of. And and did that work very well? Yeah, it worked really well. Um, and then it's and now we're here, <laughs> where we have no idea what's going to work next. Yeah. So so now, <laughs> three hundred million searches, one percent of the of the market share. How are you going to get to two percent market share? Yeah. So our target for next year is to double, and um, you know, and and be at like about 8 billion searches a year. And so we'll probably get, we'll get close to four this year and we'll probably get an extra one next year just by organic growth, you know? Mm -hmm. So we need to find an extra 3 billion searches next year through one of these channels. Do people search as much anymore? I mean, I, that's they a do. stupid question. Yeah, they, no, like, they do, they do. But I sort right. of feel like there's, uh, now I have, now I know everything I need. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know like when Charlemagne was born, but I do know like how to order food online, you know, so I'll just go straight to that site as opposed to using Google. You are right that people are changing their search habits, and especially on mobile, they're going directly to apps, right? So you'll go to Yelp on your phone or something. Right. Um, and In it's fact, a, the web is sort of like, I don't want to say the web is dead, but the web is transforming because we're moving into this mobile area now. It's transforming, and in particular, it's unclear where it's transforming. So like Facebook is betting that's going to transform into Messenger, you know, and you're just going to do everything in Facebook Messenger. Um, Nevertheless, all of this, desktop searches are still increasing. So another question is, what about um, doing something that no search engine does at all, which is deep linking into mobile apps? Well, they're starting to do it now. Um, like, why don't you hook up with a company like Bitly, which is really good at deep linking? Like, they know everything inside the apps. Yeah. And include that, their information in your search engine. Yeah. No, we, are, we're, we, we do stuff like that. Um, mobile is really challenging for us because on Android, we can't. You know, we, we can't get access to be a default player because Google won't add us. And then on iOS, you know, we can be the default search, um, but, like, we can't otherwise get people to download our app and do, like, more interesting things. But that's why a company like Bitly, which is hired by the app developers themselves yeah, to create right. links, yeah. you know, shorten links based on that go that look like web links but are actually dealing with the mobile internet, um, they could be interesting. iOS. I'm not trying to push them, by the way, just full disclosure. Yeah, I am yeah. a small investor in them. So. I like Bitly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, iOS is uh, kind of incorporating those things anyway. Like, uh -huh. you can now click on links and they'll automatically open in in other um, apps. Right. No matter. But, but, but can you search them? Can your crawler search them? You can't search them as easily. So that's something we could do. Although, um, that's what uh, Apple is doing for iOS 9. Like, app developers can now tell you, tell them what to search and they'll put it in Spotlight. Okay, interesting. Uh, so, what else on this book? What uh, what have I missed? I think I had I had all your points. <laughs> have you been happy with your with how the book's been doing? How yeah. did it, how did it go from self published to now you have like a real publisher? And I rem I didn't even remember I gave you a blurb. I'm a blurb on the yes, back. I was like going through the book. And, uh, <laughs> oh, so you so portfolio penguin? You're dealing with Adrian Sackheim. I am dealing with Will Weiser, um, Eric Nelson. Okay. Um, I, I published the book with them in 2008. Um, yeah, I think he, he's relatively new. He's been great. Um, I, I don't know. I have Did no they experience. Approach you you, you have a lot of experience with this. I don't, this is my one time of doing this. You so, know? so the experience I have of going from self-publishing to publish is that the publisher wants you to take down your book for a while. Yes. Yeah, did they, they ask you to do that? Yeah, they did. And how long did you take your book down? Two months. Well, that's a long time. Were you scared when you took it down? Like that your people were going to forget about you? A bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um but now this is really nicely done. I like this new book. Yeah, it's a much... So, like, I would say that the reason why I wanted to do it was to make a much higher quality product. Mm -hmm. And I think it came out that way. Not just physically, but, like, they helped re-edit it and make it nicer. I actually think someone can take this book... 
they can start their own business on helping people market. Like if you become an expert in all these different areas, you can actually oh, yeah, absolutely. create a business you can do a marketing. Cons- we could build a consulting practice on the back of this or anyone right. could really. Yeah. Right. It's no interest to me, but people could definitely do it. Yeah, there's value there. So so what's next for what's next for you? You're gonna write another book? I am not writing another book. This was it's a It's hard writing a book, right? You have to kind of send your family away and like very this, right? this I started working on this in two thousand nine. <laughs> You've That's written incredible. a ton of books. <laughs> I, I I was doing this company like I didn't realize how much work it was. Yeah, how much it's editing awful. it was. It's crazy. Just sitting and like writing these squiggly lines. You know? I have idea. I I I like books. I like writing because I feel it makes a unique impact. Like you could do something that you, you can say things no one else is going to say. Um, and I have a couple ideas in there, but I don't know if I'm going to pursue it anytime in the future. Well, uh, Gabriel, thanks so much for coming on again. Uh, I am a user of DuckDuckGo, nice. and uh, <laughs> I think it's we might as well fight the power, uh, uh, which DuckDuckGo does very well. And I think this is for anybody starting any kind of business, whether it's a new search engine or selling cooking supplies or selling information. Absolutely, I agree with like all of these points in here. You should definitely get this book and and study it and like. Gabriel was suggesting just um, master the the four or five areas you use the most, and I think it it would be an excellent um, addition to any business. So thanks for writing this, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15, discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know.